And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you shall make atonement for it, or when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar must be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb, you shall offer one-tenth of an ephah of fine of flour mixed with one-fourth a hin of pressed oil, and one-fourth a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, so I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for the honor of taking this time today to open your word and expect you to speak. I thank You, Lord, for the power of Your Holy Spirit that ministers to us, Lord. Not an it, but a He who desires even today to address our hearts and be used as a catalyst to draw us deeper and more meaningfully into a right relationship with You. So, Lord, I pray right now that You would do everything You intend in this time. That You would speak. That You would encourage That you would challenge and rebuke and exhort and correct, equip, train in righteousness, save God. Do all that you intend in this time. And Lord, I pray that from this point on, today will be a revolution in our hearts. This will be so much more than just information transferred from one to another. But rather, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would speak to every one of us individually as well as corporately here today. God, that You would so minister, that You would so speak, that all we could do is feel small in the face of a big God. I pray, Lord, that You would immerse me in Your Holy Spirit afresh and anew right now. Lord, that I would disappear and You would appear. And God, that You would fill me to overflowing with Your Holy Spirit. Give energy and strength to this body, God, so that today You would be glorified among us. And Lord, that we could fellowship with You. That Your Word would burst open and come alive and grab a hold of every one of us and captivate us today. And in that, that we would have so much fun as we draw near to You and seek to become more like You. Knowing that You who began a good work in us We'll be faithful to complete it. And we trust that you will. So have at us. This time is yours. We deem every second we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say this morning or afternoon or whatever time it ever seems to be when we do this. It's so weird when you're in church and it's in the afternoon. 
I would say, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final authority. Now, as you look at this text, we're kind of in a place where if you've just stepped into things, it would seem to be a little bit kind of what in the world is going on. Animals are being offered regularly in a tabernacle for which an altar is is to be built. The context of this is that God has ordained a specific family before they even know why, to be honest, before they even know it, because they're down there, including Aaron, the guy who's going to blow it big time while God calls these people to this work. I mean, that's a pretty radical thought. And in that he says, look it, as we start to prepare for the priesthood, I have a specific ritual that's going to last seven days that any person who's going to become the high priest or ordained into priesthood needs to get some form of ceremony. And that's kind of key here. God doesn't want you slipping into ministry in such a way that you don't realize there's a commitment the same way He doesn't want you slipping into a relationship with a human being and not really realizing that the commitment that's required for it as well. And in that He has ordained a priesthood, which by the way, Scripture makes clear, that is every Christian He's called us to be priests. And so we look in to see, we look, we look in to see, we look to see what it looks like to be a priest We look to see what the responsibilities and what it really takes to sort of segue into this, to sort of be inaugurated into this priesthood. In the last, uh, the beginning of this chapter, he said there were three basic materials that were to be brought. One big bull, two spotless rams, if you remember, that were blemish-free, and then various um, unleavened breads and cakes and wafers in a basket. So you've got a bread basket full of breads of sorts, You've got one big bowl, obviously not in a basket, and these two large blemish-free rams. And then he says in verses 4 to 9, if you remember, I want you to cleanse and then clothe and then anoint these guys. Moses does the work. The priest does not cleanse himself. The priest does not clothe himself, which has got to be weird when your big brother's clothing you when you're 80 years old. I mean, maybe, maybe because thinking you're getting older, I might need that kind of help, but not when the guy that's doing it is older than you are. So here you are, you're being cleansed, you're being clothed, you're being anointed. That's the beginning of this, to consecrate you for this work. And then if you remember, we had five specific offerings. There was a sin offering, then there was a burn offering, then there was a wave offering, and then there was a burn offering, and then there was a peace offering. If you remember, we did sin, burnt, wave, burnt, peace last time. And that reminded us of the necessity to be conscious of the fact we're still sinners. That we can still get trapped in the sin we were once in. We are free to say no to it, but we're also free to run into that trap. Hear me on that, beloved. We are free to run into that trap. Paul would say, I wouldn't want, though I am free, though I am free, I will not put myself under the same bondage for which I once was. It's important to recognize If you are a Christian and you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you can go back to your addictions. You can go back to your manacles and to your shackles. You just don't have to. That's a choice you make. You could say, I miss my jail cell. I carved my name in it. I'm familiar with that nasty cot with the bug-infested wool blanket that's on top of it. I'm used to getting beat up in the courtyard. I, but it's like, look, at in the end of it all, just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's good. And he wants us to remember not only that are we still sinners, 
that there's a God who saves the worst of them. And that was the beginning of our continual offerings, that burnt offering. Remember, the weird thing about a burnt offering is that every part of the animal gets burnt. The only thing that's left after a burnt offering is ashes, for which, by the way, then, will be blown away in the middle of a wilderness wind. By the time you're done, nothing is left of that surrender in regards to the fact that nothing, you're, you're left holding on to nothing. And then from that, God starts to sanctify, consecrates the term he uses, and spends the rest of the time up to this point really focusing on that second ram that he calls the ram of consecration. And with that, remember how he kind of, you cut it and you give fat as a wave offering, which is kind of a weird thought. You're waving fat, you're waving the excess before God. And then with that, that gets burnt in a complete burnt sacrifice. And then you cook, uh, cook it up the rest and you, um, and you offer it and you eat together. Because God wants us all to be able to partake in that. And that's kind of where we're at up to this point. We're finishing the end of that seven day requirement to initiate a priest and then we go into a real fundamental issue for every priest and that's you as well can i say in this room right now you're the pits priests in training p-i-t that's the idea here and as priests in training god has a desire to develop within every one of us this specific aspect finishing up by the way and i couldn't not i couldn't get to it last week and the reason was because i really wanted to at least take a moment and see what's what we're saying here verse 36 again remember says you're offering that bull every day is a sin offering for atonement notice for the altar there is a cleansing an anointing and a sanctifying do you see that in verse 36 everyone now look at that for a moment because does that sound familiar Remember how in the beginning of this whole thing, how Moses took his brother and he cleansed him, he clothed him, and he anointed him. He set him apart. And look at what we have here. You've got the cleansing, the anointing, and that sanctifying of the altar, which, by the way, he says is, notice in verse 36, it's atonement. Real honest atonement in the sight of God is cleansing. Real honest atonement in the sight of God is, as he shows us here, anointing and sanctifying. There is this issue, and recognize this, when you got saved, it wasn't that God just went, good, you're not going to hell. He steps beyond that and says, now look it, I want to set you apart, that's what it means to be sanctified, and anoint you and others to empower you for service. Now you are set apart the moment you join the military. You got a different set of clothing, so you got your clothing. But the reason that you're really different more than the others is that you're in the army. And with that, wouldn't it be strange to look at your commanding officer and say, what do you mean, get up early in the morning and march? You don't understand. I have a ritual. I get up at 11. I kind of watch a couple programs that I like at between 11 and 2, eat my bonbons, everything's cool. Don't tell me what to do. And he says, look, at you join the army. And in joining the army, there are some rules that came with it. And part of it is you became a soldier, soldier. And we're not going to have flabby soldiers. But you know what happens? Is we've become, as a culture, and I mean that as the Christian culture, a group of people that talk about war stories, but not a single one of us have ever seen the battlefield. And we're so fearful of it, we don't even want to go into basic training because we might break a nail. And that is insane. While people are out there under the bondage of a horrible horrible maniac called the devil who's been taking people captive and our job is reconnaissance we go out and we get them and we bring them back now please understand before we even get any farther he says look at we're going to deal with this altar and that's the focus by the way of these these two verses before we get into the rest 
that altar, God's going to say at the end of this chapter, that's where I'm going to meet with you. So I want that altar a special place. That cross is not just to be something that you're going to sort of wear as a nice design. It's not just going to be jewelry. It's not going to just be something cool for the goths. It's not just something you can hang upside down and put on a sweater. It's not just something that you can kind of put in front of a building and call it a church. That cross is to be set apart. That cross is to be the place where you recognize, I meet you there. And it is the place of total surrender. I met you there when I paid the price. You didn't. So don't come selfish. Come ready to lay yourself down. In verse 37 it says, Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. And don't miss this. Whoever touches the altar must be holy. Now, the way that it reads, it appears to be as if, look at something has to already be holy before it gets near it to touch it. Let me read it in the Hebrew. Let's see. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. Three, three words. The first is Hanigah. Can you say Hanigah? Okay, kind of like Hanukkah, but, but Hanigah. So, now try, but you can't say Hebrew like this. Hanigah. Come on now, there's a bunch of you. I want to hear it. Hanigah. That's the first word. The second word, by the way, is Batzmebeach. Say, say Batzmebeach. Come on now, Batzmebeach. The third word is Yakadosh. Kadosh, like we sing Kadosh. The word means holy. Listen. Those are our three words which we read here must be holy. Don't miss those words. Literally, the term means, and it's in for what it's worth, it's in the imperfect, which means it's becoming. Must become holy. Whatever touches that which is most holy becomes holy when it touches it. The difference between something that is considered holy and something that is considered most holy is the power of influence. What we read in Scripture is when something is considered holy and something profane touches it, it has to be reconsecrated because it's now become unholy. But that which is considered most holy, when something touches it, that other thing becomes holy. The difference is the power of influence. Does that make sense? Now, follow me on this. The difference between what is considered holy and what is considered most holy is not only in the power of influence. That's just the practical side of it. It's also in regards to the presence of God. That which is considered holy is that which actually represents the presence of God. So kind of represent. But that which is most holy experiences the presence of God. There's a very big difference. That particular altar that God is speaking about experiences the presence of God because God says, that's where I'm going to meet you, which means he's got to be there if he's going to meet you there, right? Now, follow me on this because we kind of want to be holy, but can I suggest God wants us to be most holy? There's a very big difference. So you could be out there kind of going, I'm just representing God. I'm going to be out there representing because if you ain't representing, you perpetrating. You know, and, and so here I'm just going to, you know, so I'm just, I'm here to represent Jesus. We're the Jesus gang. Check us out. JC, you know, all that with the cross, you know, and then you're kind of walking around and trying to do it. But what happens is you're not walking with the Lord. You're just kind of busy trying to be like him or trying to represent him. But in that, what happens is when you're in a dirty world, it's going to influence you. Because the bottom line is your eyes aren't on Jesus. In that case, your eyes are on other things. Now, what that means is what it's like to try to be a Christian in an unchristian world. That's what it looks like. I'm just trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying not to get drunk. I'm trying not to have sex. I'm trying not to do those things. I'm just trying to be a good Christian. 
But your eyes are still kind of on you. Your eyes are still looking at the world. And you're just going, and what you're doing is going, I just want to be better than that. I want to be different from that. But how different? Well, I don't know. I just don't want to do that. They're getting drunk. I don't want to get drunk. They're having sex. I don't want to have sex. That's what you're looking at. Well, that's what it could look like to be holy, so to speak, in that sense, practically. But to be most holy, which is honestly holy according to Scripture, is to experience the presence of God. I'm not looking at the world. I'm looking at Jesus. And I'm looking at you through the eyes of Jesus. I'm looking at you through the lens of Jesus. And that's radically different. Because in a case like that, I'm not looking and going, I want to be different than that. I'm looking and going, I just want to be like this. And with that then, the influence is that I'm plugged into the Lord, and as plugged into the Lord, my influence is going to be on the world. It's not going to influence me now, because my eyes are on the Lord here. And I've learned, you become like what you worship. The question is, is there someone in Scripture that we would expect to be most holy to have that influence? And the answer, of course, is, duh, Jesus. Listen to this, because I found this really interesting as I started to look through Scripture. And this was one of those rustling in the bushes for me that I kind of looked at. I said, how many times did Jesus touch somebody in the Gospels? So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Because notice the term that it says here, back in verse 37, it says, whoever touches the altar must become or must be holy. That's what we have here. So the question is, did Jesus ever touch unclean or unholy things? And if he did, which power of influence was it? Does that make sense? Because if most holy was that it had to become holy, then Jesus would have had to go re-sanctify himself if he was simply holy, or if this meant that that had the power of influence. Listen, Matthew 8.3, my favorite text on this. By the way, it's what made me tactile, honestly. Before that point, I was not a tactile person. I wasn't like, come on, I'm going to give you a big hug. So if you don't like the fact that your pastor runs up and gives you big hugs, you can blame Matthew 8 for that. Because in Matthew 8, there is a guy covered, according to Luke, in leprosy. He is covered in leprosy, which means it's more than likely he's been leprous for nearly 20 years, which means he may not have arms or feet. His eye sockets could be caved in. He could have lost his fingers by this point because he is covered in leprosy. And as he's covered in leprosy, he comes to Jesus and he says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And we read that Jesus reached out and touched him. And the power is, who had the power of influence? Nobody would touch a leper. You pulled in everything and you yelled, Unclean! Unclean! Because everybody fled from you because they didn't know what it was. They didn't know it was a bacteria, a rod-shaped Acid fast bacteria called leprous or bacterium leprae. They didn't know that. All they knew is that guy is contagious. He's got weird spots. He's turning white. Get away from him. Don't go near him. So when Jesus walks over and understand your whole body gets numb, your nerve endings, all of the synapses in between that, that connect your nerves cease to happen. So this guy hasn't felt anything in so long except the internal pain of knowing he's dying. Never again to feel the, the hold of your, of your children in your lap. Never again to feel that hand in yours. Never again to feel that arm on your shoulders. Nothing like that. So the first thing that this man feels after nearly 20 years is the hand of God on him. How powerful is that? Now let me ask you, who had the influence? The holy or the unholy? The holy or the unclean? But it's not just there. In the same chapter, then Jesus goes and touches Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever. She gets well, gets up and serves. In chapter 9, perhaps one of my favorite stories in this, perhaps yours as well, is a gal who, by the way, tries to sneak away with a miracle. Perhaps you're familiar with it. She's been bleeding for 12 years, which makes her unclean. She is not allowed to go to church in that condition back then. She was considered ceremonially unclean for 12 
years she has been bleeding. And she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Who had the power of influence? But notice, Jesus never lets you get away with sneaking away with a miracle. He stops everything and says, who touched me? Of course, his disciples are like, what? You're being thronged by people and you're asking, who touched you? That would be like it's 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. and you're on the Piccadilly somewhere down in the center of the city and you go, who touched me? And you think, uh, how many, how, where do you want me to start? By height, by age, by what? But see, there's something, and please don't miss that. Jesus knows the difference of people who bump into him and people who reach out to him. Let me ask you, which one are you at today? Are you into bumping into Jesus today? You went to reaching out to him. This guy reached out in faith. She was made clean. In chapter 9, verse 29, it was Matthew still. It's the blind men who Jesus reaches out and touches and are healed of their blindness. In chapter 14, verse 36, he goes to Gennesaret and the entire region brings out all of their sick and they just want to touch the hem of his garment. And as soon as they do, they're made well. By Mark chapter 7, there's a man, verse 33, that is deaf and dumb. Jesus touches. But you can't get anything that would be considered more unclean or unholy than a coffin that's full. And in Luke 7, 14, Jesus is in a town called Nain. He winds up, winds up right at a funeral procession, which is a very temporary funeral procession, because the whole day is going to be radically changed the moment Jesus comes over and touches the man's coffin. And as it is the case, the boy gets up. Which one of you that's carrying the coffin doesn't drop it at that point? And if you thought, this guy's probably going to get up in the middle of this procession. But I think the most powerful in all of these, to be honest, is Luke 7.39. Because in Luke 7.39, Jesus is reclining at a home. And we read, a sinful woman comes in, begins to cry, wipe his feet with her tears, or her hair because she's wet his feet with her tears. Who has the power of influence? The, re- the people that are there say, the religious leaders say, if this man were really a prophet, he'd know who this girl is. He'd know the sinner she is. He'd know she doesn't belong here. Hey, can I just say, if you have that attitude, either change or get out. This is not that kind of church. I would hope you'd say, oh, that person's a sinner. Sure, I'm glad they're at church. Hear me on this. Jesus has a lot of words for a person that thinks that church is not the place. Or Jesus is not the place for the unbeliever, for the needy. Jesus turns to the woman and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven you. There is the power of influence. In Luke 22, the last time we'll see Jesus touching someone. Verse 51 is when Jesus touches Malchus, the high priest's servant's ear, who got whacked off by, by Peter, who tries to protect God. Look, at, just say, if you have to protect your God, you've got the wrong one. You know what I find really interesting? You will not find once in the Gospel of John Jesus touching anyone. Not, you know, he does. But it's not listed. It's not recorded. Nowhere do we read the word touch in the whole. And I realize why. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on a king, a servant, a man who touches human beings and their lives. 
John focuses on a God who dwells among them, just like this chapter. But listen to this verse in Matthew 23 as we move forward then to our next part. Jesus is criticizing the religious leaders, blind fools, blind guides. And he says in Matthew 23, 18, you say, whoever swears by the altar, that's the altar we're speaking of here, only it had been made at the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Listen to this next verse. Fools and blind, which is greater? The gift on the altar or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Let me ask you, does the altar make something holy? The altar that sanctifies the gift. The altar has the power. Now listen, beloved, as God has called you to be most holy. When we read, you are the temple of the living God, literally, you are the holy of holies. You are that part where God dwelt that people wanted to go to and only the high priest could once a year. That part, that's you now, beloved, because God's presence dwells inside of you. No bells, no fancy outfits. You go just as you are, and God would like to tear the veil open. That is your flesh. Not that He wants to do something really bizarre physically, but the idea of He wants your skin to be so transparent, your flesh to be so non-visible in sense, that He could be seen by a whole world that goes, I want Him. And God says, good, because I want you too. Today, are you interested in just trying to be pious? I'm going to be good. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to do nice things. Or would you like to experience the presence of a God who dwells within His own because God would like to change the world and He's crazy enough to want to use you and me to do it? Think about that for a second. This amazing, invincible, infinite, perfect, undefeated God that dwells in inapproachable light wants to fellowship with us. Is that crazy? And we want to go, oh, He's God. Like He's something ordinary. This is the God who said, light be, and light was invented. Within a handful of words, everything that you know in one manner or another, that's matter, was invented. And you look at all this and you think, how could God just be another anything? The term holy means weird, unique, profoundly different. And if you are going to start looking like God, you're going to start looking different. The world's going to see you different. And it isn't because you've got to be important, because you were at the cross. You are it to Him. You don't need anybody else to find you important. You don't need to get kudos and applause from anyone. Get a bunch of stuff to be important. Jesus died for you on the cross. What more do you need? And if you can't resolve it there, you'll be spending the rest of your life trying to be important everywhere else and never finding it. And he goes, now that we've resolved that, because for a week I want you to be aware of this, let's talk about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And for the rest of your life, I don't know if you've even thought about this. We've read through it now. From verse 38 to 46, the rest of the chapter, is about a, a sacrifice that's going to happen every morning and every night, every day, nonstop. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sabbath. It doesn't matter whether it's a bank holiday. 
It doesn't matter if it's one of those days that only the government gets off. It doesn't matter whether it's Easter or Christmas. It doesn't matter what the day is. It's going to happen every day. Every day. God says continually, and he didn't say continually except when you don't feel like it. Continually except because you got too busy. Continually because you made yourself unavailable for this. God says this needs to happen every day. Every, every day. What's interesting about this everyday thing is, is that there are three things that are going to be part, they're going to be a part of it. And I don't know if you've ever got this because today is the perfect day for this. And I'll tell you why. Here are the three things. A lamb. You're going to need a lamb in the morning that God's going to say, my lamb, the lamb of God in the morning. You need it. And you need the lamb of God at night. That's the PM. So there's an AM. You guys get to be the AM people. You get to be the PM people. You're the night people. You're the ones that get up in the morning and go, I'm just so happy. These people go, please be quiet. These are the ones who are up late at night and go, please be quiet. I'm trying to sleep. Okay, AM, PM. Are you with me on that? Because our God is the God of the AM and PM. And here are the three things. You need a lamb, the lamb of God. You need the lamb of God in the morning. That needs to happen at the beginning of your sacrifice. You need the lamb of God. That's what you need in the PM. Are you with me on that? Here's the second thing. You need wine. And you think, oh, this is getting more interesting by the moment. A.M. wine. So here's the funny thing. You ain't drinking any of it. You're pouring it out. That's a drink sacrifice, he says. And he goes, that's what you need. But there's one thing before that. And guess what you? You need wine, too, for the same reason. But the thing in between, well, there's, there's oil and there's flour. So you take flour... Anyone who cooks, and you mix it with oil, and you put it in a fire, what does it become? This is, should, be, it should be a no-brainer. Bread. It's called bread, is what it's called. Bread. Bread. Just bread. That should not be difficult. This was not a difficult recipe. This was flour and oil. Mix it up. Bread. That's it. Unleavened bread. Did you get it? Here are the three things in the morning. You ready? Okay, listen, the Lamb of God, bread, wine. Here's what you need at night every day. The Lamb of God, bread, wine. Does that sound familiar? This day we get to have communion. See, here's the cool thing. Every other sacrifice that takes place is on top of those. Can I strongly encourage you today as we start to develop this a little bit? Please hear me. The Lord would like to develop a quiet time with every one of you. Now, maybe you think, i got a quiet time. Things are good. Well, good. Well, let me ask you. Can you have an a.m. quiet time and a p.m. quiet time? Because the Lord would really like to meet you in both places. To be honest, he'd like to meet you the whole day. He just really, really knows how important it is to preempt and to close the deal. Because in the beginning, this gets you ready for what's going to happen. At the end of the day, this helps you process what did happen. Listen with me as we go through this. This is what it says. It says, this, verse 38, This is what you shall offer on the altar two lambs of the first year, day by day. Can you say the word continually? Okay, now can more than four of you say it? Okay, now I know you got more. Come on now, give me continually. Now, I want you to say it so this mic can hear you. This thing, ready? That was just about the same. All right, well, follow me on this. You can say it all day and it's still getting the point across. Continually. 
Right. So let me just say this. I'm going to say a word. You answer it with continually. That means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Easter, Christmas. I have a headache. I don't feel like it. Um, that person's driving me crazy. I was up a little late last night. I don't know if I have time. You get the point? I knew someone was going to do that. You get the, here's the point, friends. Here's the point. Is that, look it, if you are genuinely married, you wake up every day and choose to be married. You said, I do commit to saying, I do. Though you can say, well, I will wear the ring. I said, I do all those times back. But you wake up every day and you decide whether you want to live married or not. For some of all y'all, it's even a bigger deal because there's going to be challenges all day. And here's the point. Is by the beginning of the day, you know there are going to be things... Have you ever had a situation... This is like a duh. This is a real rhetorical because if you're saying no, I know you're in denial. Have you ever had those days where you had you came up with a situation and went, boy, I wish I was more prepared for that before it happened? God says continually. That's the point. He's like, wow, you know, that person, oh, that, I'm going to be meeting that person today. Oh, man, that person's going to really try me. Continually. He's like, oh, you know what? This is going to be a real challenge. Oh, I didn't realize that the bus wasn't going to show up. I'm good. Okay, continually. You might save your guts. One in the morning, one at night. Here's our AM and our PM sacrifices. In between that are three times of prayer, by the way. At the third, sixth, and the ninth hour. They were called by for, for what it's worth. The Shacharit, the Mincha, and the Arvid. Those happen in the third, sixth, and the ninth hour. Or 9 AM, 12 noon, and 3 PM. We know that because when you look at the book of Acts, all kinds of really cool things happen during those, including the Holy Spirit coming upon people, Peter getting a vision. All those way cool things happen during those times. But in between all of that, you have early in the morning this first one because continually we're going to get up and do this. And at night, continually we're going to do this as well. Are you with me on this? Now, you know, you know that the moment you say to yourself, you're right, I'm committing continually, you know that tomorrow you're going to wake up and go, I don't feel like doing this. Some of you are going to go, ooh, was I, I was supposed to do that last night. You know that. But you know what the great thing is? Your commitment doesn't mean you're like, well, forget it, it's over. I can't do this perfectly. You leave it behind and you start continually tomorrow. Now listen. Listen to this. And I want to lay out some things that the Bible says about the morning and the evening to kind of lay this out first. Listen to this. And this is my favorite verse for it because it kind of lays out both. In Psalm 92.1 it says, and follow me on this, it's a psalm for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to, his, to your name, O Most High. Can we agree with that? Isn't it wonderful to praise God? We're sitting in here. I'm, I'm playing a bass that's so out of tune and it's fretless, so I have no idea what in the world's happening. And Landon's just going for it. And I'm thinking, all right, Lord, just tune this thing. Let's have fun. And I'm listening to you. I'm so loving hearing you sing to the Lord. I just love it. Listen to the next verse. To declare... Your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness every night. One thing I'm going to see in God's morning is AM people? Kindness. Loving kindness. Come on, give it to me. AM people? Come on, we're in the middle. All y'all should be somewhere okay, right? Because we're in the middle of the day. Okay, what is it in an AM? Let's see how the evening people do. What is it in the evening? 
Yeah, okay. I can PM people in the house. Now listen. Listen to this. What was the AM again? Oh, did we wake you? Okay, listen. Another verse. Listen. Psalm 143.8. Listen. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Are you seeing a pattern here? For I, in you I do trust. Cause me to know the way I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. And God bless you. And I mean that word for word. Listen. Jesus tells us this. A landowner went out early in the morning to hire laborers. The morning is the time when the laborers get recruited. Matthew 20, verse 1. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 135, a long while before daylight, you'd think Jesus had to be hyperkinetic. You know what I'm saying? Because the guy never seemed like he slept. Early in the morning, but then let's face it, the 12 that he had, that guy had to get up and have a really good quiet time because he wasn't going to have it around them. Let's be honest. He went, listen, to a deserted, solitary place, and there he prayed. Listen, deserted, solitary. Now, parents, those of you who have children, you got to get up before your kids and you think, how in the world? Pray. The flesh, it will never be willing. We're all unaware of that. But follow me. Before daylight, in this case, he would get up and he would pray. Luke 21:38 says early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him this is Jesus we'll see that also in John 8 that he said in verse 2 that he sits down and he talks he taught them and then in Acts 5:21 when the disciples were released out of prison early in the morning they went and they taught Psalm 119:147 says before the dawning of the morn I cry for help because I hope in your word can I say this? Listen, Ann, people over here. What is the one thing I'm looking for for God in the morning? Oh, thank you. Someone said it. Okay, now, is there more than one? Are all the rest of y'all still in a coma, right? Okay, follow me. Ann, people, what are we looking for? Loving kindness. Now, listen. The landowner went to go hire laborers early in the morning. One of the things in my AM quiet time is that I'm going to say, God, I'm available for what you have today when you send me out to the field. Because the landowner is the Lord. And he's coming and he's looking. He's going, look at I'm looking for someone that was willing. And you go, I'm not able. God said, I didn't say able. And I'm looking for willing. God says, I'm able enough for both of us. I'm looking for willing. And you're like, well, but I'm not really good. God says, I didn't look for good. I'm not looking for talented. And don't tell me how untalented you are. I gave you your talents. Don't defeat that. Don't diminish what I gave you. It's just a little. It ain't just a little anything. I gave it to you. Can you imagine you give something to a friend and they go, oh, this is just a little. And you're thinking, thanks. Give it back. I like it. I bought it because I thought it was nice. I'll take it. Listen. In the morning, in our morning quiet time, there's got to be a part of it that says, Lord, make me willing. Make me willing because I'm... Remember, and those of you who have been in our Roman study... Do not offer your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but offer them as instruments of righteousness, holiness, 
And this is what God desires. In other words, if you're a soldier and the trumpet is blown, somebody's got to stand on the line and go, yes, sir, I'm ready. And clearly, some of you are still sleeping. Now listen. I'm looking in the morning and what I want to look, and I'm going to bank on God's Thank you. I'm so glad you're in the front. <laughs> Love and kindness. I know God loves me and He's kind. I know that. And because I know that He loves me and He's kind, I know that His mercies are new every day. Yeah, actually the word is... Was, you're on it, but it's His mercies are new every morning is the term. It's, it's, day is true, but it's in the morning of that day. So follow me on this. God's looking. I know that part of it is that I'm going to go, and like Jesus, he got away to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So part of what I want to do is I want to get away, and I want to pray. And in that prayer, I want to say, Lord, make me ready and available for wherever you want to send me in the field. Verses Luke 21, Psalm 119, 147. I know Jesus teached. Gosh, I am American. He taught in the morning, and people came to learn and it says, I hope in your word. Can I just say, part of it is, I want to be in his word. I want to open up his word. And I want to say, God, speak to me. Teach me. Make me ready for this day. Now, let's be honest. Those of you who do have a good quiet time, or it's on and off, but when it is on, and you're in the word, how often isn't it common to have somewhere in that day, all of a sudden you go, ooh, I was just reading about that this morning. God had been prepping my heart the whole time, priming the pump, because somewhere in all that, God had a plan. And it's like, no, look, maybe one of those people, you're like, this is how you read the Bible. You're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible today. Let me see. My Bible's in here somewhere. Oh, oh, here's one. Here's a good one. All right. Today, I'm going to go, okay. Jesus hung himself. Mm, Okay. Go and do likewise. Mm. What you have to do, do quickly. Ah! This is going to be a rough day. You know, what's really interesting is I have friends that when I talk to them, I think they listen to every third word. I have children that do that sometimes. They miss words like not, right? You shall not do that. I didn't hear the not. Yeah, of course you didn't. But, and the whole, my whole point of that is, is that somewhere down the line, if I actually read straight through, it's amazing what God will say. And I can listen and go, wow, I think I'm getting it. Can I encourage you? This is everyone, but for the AM... Listen, I want to be able to embrace God's loving kindness. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. It's all right. It's okay. I want to be able to embrace God's loving kindness. And as I do, it's like, God, because you know what I need to be reminded in the morning? Is God, you love me, and you have a plan for this day to use me, to change the world. To change the world. And you know what we're doing? We're going to offer a lamb, and then we're going to have bread and wine. Does that sound familiar? Now, let's get to the other side of things. Now, the evening is a little rougher. Jesus actually speaks of the evening a little bit rough. He talks about people, what do they do at night? Oh, yeah, they get drunk at night. Maybe that's why I was so loud. Just kidding. Listen, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night. But what do we get in the morning? Joy. See, you guys know it, right? In Psalm 59, verse 6, it's, David speaks, he says, look, at, they return at the evening, they make noise like a dog and go about the city. At night, David's enemies howl and say, David, you're mine. You're mine. 
In Psalm 90, it speaks about the grass that in the morning flourishes, but it by night is cut down. And I realized that night was when they brought the man who was demon-possessed to Jesus in Matthew 8. In Matthew 14, Jesus shows us as he says to his men at evening, this is a deserted place and there's lots of people. How are they going to get fed? And Andrew says, well, you know, we've taken some inventory. We really, there's no possible way. There's, we, we don't have this kind of money, Jesus. He says, well, you feed them. And you can see him going, <laughs> Yeah. In Matthew 26, verse 20, Jesus sat down with the twelve at evening and he said, Okay, guys, listen. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, mocked and spit upon, crucified, killed, and on the third day he'll rise again. Will you listen to me, please? In Luke 24, verse 29, it says, It's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And they went and they stayed with him. And that, of course, was when they were walking after Jesus' crucifixion. And they're walking to Emmaus. And Jesus walks with them, and they go, Why don't you stay with us tonight? Because it's evening. The day is far spent. And Jesus is like, I I was just going to keep going. And they're like, No, please, come and stay with us. And it's there, listen, it's there that Jesus will reveal himself. But do you remember what he reveals himself doing? Breaking bread. Does that sound familiar? In John chapter 20, verse 19, it was evening, being the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the doors were shut, the disciples were all assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and he said, Shalom. Peace be with you, for which they freaked out. Why did they freak out? Because it was the first time that Jesus appeared to them alive as a group. Now, don't miss this. In the morning, I'm looking for God's loving kindness. And with that, I'm praying. I'm in his word. And as I'm in his word, I'm like, Lord God, make me ready for whatever you have for the day. I just want to be used by you. I want to delight in your loving kindness today. I want to be in your word. Teach me today. That's what we get in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what we get. We get to this side, and we see that it's in the evening that we start going, well, well there's so much, but we have so little. How are we going to... Isn't that one that hits? It's at the night that someone's brought that's needy, and you're like, oh, this is a bigger deal than I can handle. It's at night that a situation happens where you're just walking and you're just trying to get your head straight and someone shows up and goes, hey, why don't you? And you realize Jesus reveals himself. He reveals himself as the feeder of the 5,000. He reveals himself as the one who isn't intimidated by a demon-possessed man. He reveals himself as the one that when they had said we had hoped, he'd be the one that would deliver Israel. We had hoped because we kind of gave up hope at this point. And Jesus says, there's no reason to give up hope, boys. I'm right here. He was the one that when we were totally afraid, we were locked in a room and we were afraid that he showed up and said, hey guys, peace. Look, at, I don't know anybody that's afraid of the morning. I don't know anyone that's afraid of the light. Oh, don't turn on. You know, maybe you've seen those movies where they kind of get like that. But normal real reality, people aren't afraid of the light. But kids are afraid of the dark for a reason. And there's something solitary. And can I just say perhaps, perhaps, 
It's because it's a hint of hell. Because we know that God dwells in inapproachable light, and we know that there's all kinds of beautiful light in heaven. We've gotten a book of Revelation to see all that. But remember what he says about the others, that they would be cast away into outer darkness or utter darkness? And perhaps, just perhaps, there's a bit of it that kind of knows that there is that reality. There's something worse than this, and this is a hint of it. Perhaps. But it's in a place like that we do we can easily feel more alone. You could be in a room full of people, but when the light goes out, you can feel very alone. And in a moment like that, things start to hit you, don't you? They go, man, what am I going to do? These are bills. These are a lot of bills. These are a lot of bills, and I don't think we're making it. How are we going to handle this? Or, man, how am I going to handle that person? That person's out of control. And they're coming in my life. Oh, my mom's coming tomorrow. What am I going to do with that? Or whatever it is. And you know, situations. How am I going to deal with that person? This relationship's getting sour, and this is getting weird. How do I deal with them? How do I deal with that? God says, you need a PM sacrifice, boys. If you're not, because you know what happens when it's there? He shows up. And he says, peace. He says he gives his beloved rest. Do you know why? Because without us, it's without us claiming him or grabbing a hold of him and seeking him, there isn't rest there. You know what there is? There's worry. And by the way, the Lord really has no place ordained for you to worry. That's for the unbeliever. He says, why do you worry? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He goes, I don't believe it. He even do that. He says, but for you, he says, oh, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And he says, listen, because we really misquote this, and all these things will be added. What things? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? That's what he says. He doesn't say, well, look it. You ain't got the right car. You just seek first his kingdom, and he's going to give you a brand new Bentley. Ain't in there. That's not all these things. What shall we wear? A new Bentley? You ain't wearing a new Bentley. And you ain't eating it either. Or you got issues. Listen, listen, beloved. In the morning, get that time because you're looking for his loving kindness. And as you're looking for his loving kindness, and you know, I know you love me, but I also know you love Gina. And I also know you love Shirley. And I also know that you love Deborah and Daniela. And I know that you're crazy enough that you might just want to use me to be a blessing. I'd like to be a blessing today. I'd love Daniel to walk out blessed and somehow be a part of that. What if we all did that in the morning? said, all right, Lord. That's my am sacrifice. Because and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment as we develop it, but that's the beginning. And then in the PM, what are we looking for, guys? Do you remember what it was? It's faithfulness. Do you see how important that is? Listen, listen. How, there's all these bills, but how am I going to pay them? Oh, yeah, you're faithful. There's these relationships, but they're getting weird. Oh, yeah, you're faithful. There's the situations, and it seems so scary and crazy, and the world is so overwhelming. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're faithful. And he shows up, and he says, here I am. I'm right in the middle of this thing. Stop freaking out. Peace be still. Do you get it? Beloved, listen. Somebody going, I just know. I, I, in the morning, I get up, and I read my 17 chapters, and I memorize all of First Chronicles, all of the lineages. But are you seeking his loving kindness? Are you seeking to go, God, make me available? Or is it just, I'm just going to learn this so I can tell other people. How far did you get? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I-, I thought so. 
That doesn't look like loving kindness, and that doesn't look like you're available for anyone but yourself. You blew the trumpet, you showed up, and you said, yes, sir, what would you like? And you said, I'd like to make me look important. You said, all right, yes, sir. Right? And the Lord's like, <clears throat> look for the one with the stripes, because he earned those stripes. Okay, follow me in this as we wrap this around. Okay, are you with me on this? Is this making sense? Because here's my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that every one of you would walk out of here with a resolve with me today. In the morning, God, I want to set aside that time. I want to be in your word. I want to listen to you teach. Not just in your word, but I want to listen. I want to pray and I want to say, Lord, I'm yours. Make me available. Show me your loving kindness today. But listen, listen. Show your loving kindness through me and not just to me. Right? That's the beginning. At the night, Lord, I want to be able to take all the information for this day. And I want to be able to take everything that I can see as good and I want to turn it into praise. Everything that's, that's heavy, I want to turn into prayer. And Lord, remind me that you are faithful. You get it? And here's the challenge. I want you to commit to that for one week. One week. Set aside a half hour for each. Some of you might want more. Set aside a half hour. You say, I don't have time. I'd say, make it. Make it. You say, that just doesn't sound fair. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, God. I'm too busy. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. I'm saying, make the time. And then come back and tell me it didn't make a difference in your life. And then I'll say, stop lying. Verse 40. With the lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of mixed flour with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Wow. Yeah. Ephahs and hens. When was the last time any of you found those in your recipe? Honey, I need an ephah of flour. Actually, I only need a tenth of it. An ephah, for what it's worth, is roughly 22 liters. So what's one-tenth of an ephah? 2.2 liters. It's roughly those two-liter bottles. That is roughly an ephah, or a tenth of an ephah would be the idea. Then we got a hen. We have a hen. What, why is there a different measurement? One's for wet and one's for dry. Does that make sense? Flour is a dry measurement. The other two are wet. They're liquid measurements. We have a fourth of a hen. Well, that's actually easy because a hen, in the simplest sense, is about four liters. It's roughly a gallon. So what's one-fourth of four liters? Simple math. One liter. That shouldn't have been difficult. All right. One liter of oil, one liter of wine, and two, roughly two, a little more than two liters of flour. So, in essence, twice as much flour as there is oil. Kind of makes patty cake. Now, here's the offerings we do every morning and every night. Verse 41. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, you shall offer with the grain offering and the drink offering. As in the morning, a sweet aroma made by fire to the Lord. This is a continual burnt offering throughout all the generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Now listen, here's our three. The burnt, that's going to be the, the lamb. 
the grain, that's the flour and the oil, and the drink offering, and that's the, the wine. Are you with me on that? So listen, burnt, grain, drink. Did you get that? And then what you do, burnt, grain, drink. Quick quiz, AM people, what are your three sacrifices in the morning? Okay. PM people, what are your three? Oh my goodness. Yes. Now listen. Now listen, wait a minute. Burnt. What am I doing with the burnt? I'm taking my entire thing and I'm offering it up in surrender. That's what we've talked about. We relinquish everything. Isn't that what a burnt sacrifice is? The whole thing gets set into pieces, gets organized, and then the whole thing gets burnt up. The first sacrifice is a sacrifice up. Oh God, I give it all to you. In the morning, oh God, I give it all to you. I don't know what this day has. <coughs> I have a bit of a diary, but I don't know everything, but I do know this. I'm giving it all to you. I'm yours at night. God, I don't know. I've got all these bills. I'm giving them up to you. People are getting crazy on me. I give it up to you. Circumstances seem overwhelming. I'm going to give it up to you. I'm surrendering myself and these things to you. That's the first of them. Listen, the first one, up. The second one then, grain. What do I know about grain? We are praising God for the fruitfulness. God made me fruitful, and because He gave us fruitfulness, I'm able to take that fruit and give it back to God. He grew that grain. It was my field. We had it watered because He rained. We put the seed out. We did our part, but you know what? You can't make seed grow. God kept it warm enough for it to grow. He let the rain come down so it brought fruitfulness. And we took that fruitfulness and we laid it before God and said, God, I just want to thank you because now out of your blessing these things are happening. The first blessing was the one of burnt and I'm thinking, I'm offering up. The second one's that of grain offering and I'm offering out. God, you're making me fruitful now. Do you get it? Then the third one was the one of the drink offering, and I love this one. The fire is burning, and you've offered the other things. You've got the, you've got the grain, so it smelled like fresh bread for the moment. And you've got the, the, the lamb, so it smelled like barbecue. This is smelling awesome. And then there you are, you've got this big one-liter jug of wine is what you got here. And a one-liter jug, jug of wine, you take that thing open, and you pour it on the fire. What happens? The whole thing goes, the fire gets bigger. Do you get it? Listen, those sweet things in the morning, I'm like, God, I just want to give everything up to you. That's that burnt offering. And then, God, I want out of me to be fruitfulness because I see that in this. I'm offering this as fruitfulness. And then, God, I want these blessings to go over to other people because you know what happens? And Paul says, I'm even poured out like a drink sacrifice on the sacrifice of your faith. What do you think that means? Paul's like, in my obedience to the Lord, you know what? I see you on fire and I just want to go with my obedience following it. Do you see that? Now I'm seeking to bless others. All of a sudden it's like, my on fire. Well, look, I just want to pour a little bit of the wine of the joy that God has put in my heart. And my Marcy, I just want to invest in you. And the fire burns a little hotter. Look, at the first one is up. The second one is out. And the third is over to you now. And that's what I want to do in the morning. I'm like, God, first I want to give it all up to you. Because if I don't give it up to you, it's not going to make a difference to anyone else. And then make me fruitful, God. I want to take all that fruitfulness. I want it to be yours. And I know that when I'm either sowing to the flesh or I'm sowing to the Spirit. If I sow to the flesh, I'll reap corruption. But if I sow to the Spirit, you'll bear forth the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, I want that fruit to bear out. Because when that happens, then I want to send it over. And I want to send it over so that I can be poured out. Hey, you know this. Because it's like, you watch Shirley, and I don't want to pick on Shirley, but you watch Shirley. Shirley's a drink offering to a lot of people. I watch her. She just gets excited about the Lord, and people, I just feel more on fire when I'm around her. 
You saw that with Annie. And you see Annie, and she was just so surrendered to the Lord. You'd watch the people. I just feel more on fire when I'm around her. I pray that every one of us would be like that. And if that's our prayer in the morning, and that's our prayer at night, what would you think would happen? Because all of a sudden you realize, we come in here, we'd have to make sure this place is covered in asbestos. Because every one of us would be like, wow, yeah. Now maybe you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm a little bit more. Well, you'll, be, you'll be on fire in your own way. But the point is, this is what God has ordained. And here's the most amazing part. He goes, if you're willing to do that, I already have a desire. I just want to make this happen so that I can have my desire happen. Well, what's God's desire? That's our last few verses. Look at it with me. And it says this. <clears throat> uh, <coughs> excuse me. And we saw this was going to happen at the door of the tabernacle, verse 42, just to wrap it into that. It says that that's where the screen was made in chapter 26, where Aaron and his sons had to be washed at that place. The bull was killed there. Aaron and his family would eat the ram that was sacrificed there. That was the peace offering. That's in chapter 29. The pillar will go and reside there. But in verse, chapter 40, verse 6, it says that the altar of the burnt offering was before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. When he says that you're to do this before the door of the tabernacle of meeting, that's at the altar. That's where this is happening. Now listen, verse 42, let's wrap it around. He says then, where I will meet you and I will speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. Not just you specifically, although I'll meet with you individually. Anyone who's willing to do this. Claim to the Lamb. I'd like to meet with you. God speaking. And the tabernacle will be set apart sanctified not by its stained glass not by the fact it's called church by God's glory and the world's going to look and go man I see something there for some people that will freak them out I know I see something whatever it is it's freaking me out and others are going to go I don't know but whatever I see I want that and you go that's the glory of the Lord and all the glory of the Lord is is that means that people see God for who he really is He'd see him in you. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Not just the Lord God. God says, I'm not asking to be God. I'm already God. What I'd like to be is your God. That would be like me nine years ago sitting with Ruthie, our youngest, and saying, I'm already a dad. I just want to be your dad. You guys listen, and I'm going to, and this is a real side note, but my heart is really heavy over this. There's a family in America that goes to the fellowship back in California. They adopted this beautiful young gal, and she was maybe, she's roughly Tay's age, eight or nine or something like that when they adopted her. And she had come from foster care. She had been in a really difficult situation. She was in a real rough. And she came with a lot of, she came like a cactus, you know. And the Lord, I mean, these, this family just loved her and loved her. And she, um, she surrendered to Christ. She's a really neat young lady, super neat. And it was discovered she had a little sister in foster care. So the family reached out and sought to adopt her as well. And they're like, look, we're already parents, but we want to be your parents. We want to be your mom and dad. So they bring the younger girl in for six months. She's there with her older biological sister and her. 
and they, they share Jesus with her. They love on her. They care for her. The house is without the drama that it would be in a foster care, especially the one she had come from. And then one day, without them even having any foresight, she just said, you know what? I don't want this. I want to go back to my foster care house. And the family, needless to say, is devastated. You know what? I mean, this morning I woke up, man, my heart was so crushed for that family. And then the Lord just showed me, you know, I feel that every day. When there are those that wake up and say, you know, I know you're there and you love me and you want to shower me with your love and affection and protection and care. But I'd really just rather live in the world instead. And I'm like, oh God, I never realized how hard that must be on you. Ideologically, I understand. But man, I want to pray for this family today. But man, please, please, there is a God who wants to be your God. There is a Father who wants to be your Father. And He wants to love you. When you read the book of Revelation, God finally gets what He wants. Second to the last chapter, and He says, I'll be their God. They'll be my people. That's all God's ever wanted. When this book started, He was their God. And He, and they were, or he was their God and they were His people. And they chose an awful world instead. And he says, well, I want to dwell among you anyways, but it's going to take sacrifice, but I'll be the sacrifice. And then ultimately Jesus comes, he is the sacrifice, and he dwells among them. It says that the word was manifest and tented, dwelt among them. And then at the end of the book, it ends with God finally getting what he wants. If I were to give God a birthday present, and I know exactly what he would want, I would gift wrap you. Because that's what he wants. There's nothing else he wants but you. Unless it's someone else. Verse 45 says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and I'll be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt. Which is amazing. Is right now as God is saying that, there's a group of people meeting down underneath this, telling Aaron, we don't know about that guy that brought us out of Egypt. Make us a God we can look at and touch. Listen, Listen, give us something tangible that we can touch, that we can see. And we're going to say, you know the first thing they say? You are the God who delivers out of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? God says, all, this, all I want is credit for what I've done. That I may dwell among them because I am the Lord their God. And you say, well, but he wants to be. Here's the idea. God says, in my heart, I'm their God. I just want it to be in yours too. Now look at this. We go to prayer. There is a God, and find this in another book, a God that would like to wake up next to you, with you, a God that would like to go to sleep at night with you, nothing weird and perverted. He'd like to be there in the morning and remind you of his loving kindness, his mercy is new in the morning, and that joy comes in that morning, and that he's got a plan, and he really wants to recruit you and use you today. He wants to use you. He wants to pick you up and say, look, I want to make you a world changer. And you think, but I'm not a world changer. And he says, good. Now that you know that I am and I live in you, can I use you, please? In other words, God opened up the prayer closet and he looked for a a jersey to put on and he saw a Marcia. And then he saw another Marcia. And then he saw an Ashling. And he looked and he says, now which one of you wants to get put on today? 
Can, which one of you can I put on? And, you know, we're like, yeah, but only if you take me, only if you give me, only if I go. And God goes, look at, would you, aren't you glad your clothing doesn't argue with you like that? Can you imagine you start walking somewhere and your jeans start saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you sure you know where you're going? Or your shoes go, hey, you know what? There's poo in this direction. I know there's poo in this direction. And you're like, we'll walk around it. And you're like, I don't trust you. We're not walking this way. And your flip-flop flies off somewhere and says, I'm not going to go. God's just, all we are are jerseys, beloved. One day we're going to cash this jersey in, but there's a guy who opened up the closet this morning and he was looking for people on their knees and the AM and says, look, it, it's your lamb. It's the lamb of God. It's the bread and the wine. I say, God, I just want to know. I know your loving kindness. Show the world your loving kindness through me, please. And God says, you, I'll put you on today. And God's big enough to put us all on. Have you noticed that? And then at night, you're like, I know things are getting a little rough. And you could see God going, I'd love to reveal myself right now. And you're too busy freaking out. You're too busy trying to solve the thing. You're crunching numbers and you're looking at all this, but you ain't praying. You ain't reading. You're not getting alone with me and trying to hear me. You're too busy stressing. And God goes, you know, you're going to die early from that. And you're going to get those horrible lines in your head and all that stuff. And, you know, and here I am. I'm your peace. And that's like, remember, that's what Jesus said to those boys. He said, peace. And you're like, ooh, I could sure use some peace right now. And God's going, hello, hello. And you're like, man, something, it's hard. I can't even concentrate on this. Because God's like trying to speak to you. And you're ignoring him to try to figure out the numbers. Well, I don't know about this. And God's like, can we talk? And you're like, I don't have time. I'm like, I'm looking for an answer. And he goes, I am the answer. He goes, shh, I'm trying to figure out the answer. And God goes, this is, is this stupid to you? Because it is to me. You're like, but I'm in a relationship and it's rough. God says, yeah. Can you invite me in? This is a rough situation. Yeah. There, it's like Jesus is asleep on the home. I don't want to wake him. We're too busy bailing out of the boat. And here I am. My arms are exhausted because I'm trying to get water out of the boat while the whole time I'm doing this and I'm looking out and going, why aren't you helping? Why aren't you helping? We should never have got a tax collector. Those guys don't know how to work. Come on now. Come on. Bail. Peter, bail. You should bail more. Come on. And then Jesus is sleeping and somebody goes, you know, somewhere down the line, nobody goes in there and goes, don't you care? We're dying. You don't even wake up Jesus until then? And you think, well, why was Jesus sleeping? I, don't, I can tell you this. He made himself easy to find. I mean, how many times do you have to step around him to do what you were doing? Isn't it true, though, at night? Sometimes the Lord puts himself right in the middle. You're like, mm, I'll be back with you. I've got to go work on this, right? And you know that. And the reason we do that sometimes is like, no, oh, no, because you know what? It's a rough time. I need a drink. I need to go do this. I'm going to need to look at some internet porn. It's like, that's going to, I deserve that. And Jesus is like, you know what? What you need is peace. You're not going to find it there. Get along with me, please. Maybe your peace. Because you know what I'd really like? I'd like to meet you. I'd like to meet with you and speak with you in the morning. I'd like to meet with you and speak with you. I want to be your God. And I want you to be my people. And I want to meet with you and speak with you at night. When you're trying to figure out what just happened this day. And you're trying to make sense of the whole thing. And you're putting it all in your little boxes before you go to sleep. I'd love to meet with you and speak with you. Because I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And everywhere in between gets covered with that. When you start prepping with that and you settle with that at the end of the day. And he goes, look, that's what I'm looking for. So I ask you this. Have you even accepted that lamb that died on the cross so that he could have a relationship with you? And if you have, are you living like you haven't? 
Because that God gave you a choice. The same choice you're going to have tomorrow, only in the sense of practically, do I really want to seek Him in the morning? He's been chasing after you since the day you, before you even breathed your first breath. He's been chasing after you. And he's been painting the sky with colors and inviting people, friends into your life to remind you. And He's put books in front of you that are called Bibles. And He's doing all of this stuff. And oh, that person's a Christian. Who talks to that person? And then you want up in this church today of all things. You've got a choice to make. God would like to be your God. He would like you to be his people, his person. He's a father already, but he'd like to be your father. He's a lover already, but he'd like to love you. He's a healer already, but he'd like to heal you. He'd like to comfort you. He already does those things. He's a friend that stays closer to than a brother. That's the choice you need to make. You pray with me, please. God, I thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful text. I thank you, Lord, where you've brought us today. And I just want to thank you for this week, Lord, that is ahead of us, where you're going to challenge us, Lord, to have that time in the morning and get alone and seek your loving kindness and to be used as a vessel of your loving kindness to the world around. We want to be in your word. We want to be in prayer. We want to hear your voice. We want to be prepared for the day. At night, Lord, we want to be able to take all of the situations of the day and be able to put them in the right place according to the way you see them, not the way we do. And Lord, those situations that overwhelm us, Lord, from the, where the need seems bigger than the resources, Lord, to the people and the situations that seem overwhelming, God, we just need you in all of that. And I pray for every one of us as Christians, Lord, that we would actually develop a real healthy time. And Lord, if there are people in this room, Lord, and they've never had a, a time even in your word in the day, Lord, nonetheless a day or night, Lord, and then you don't know where to start, maybe just start them on the first gospel on Matthew and give them time just to read every day. And, and I know, Lord, that within a couple months they will have read through the whole New Testament. And, and Lord, I, I know that it isn't about understanding everything we read. It's about knowing that as we read, you will speak that one thing or more each day that we need to hear. So Lord, even as we don't drink the water in the shower, but we let it wash us. As we read your word, Lord, let it wash us. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, minister to us and through us in the morning, make us those vessels of your loving kindness. And at night, Lord God, minister in such a way so that we could see your faithfulness. And even right now, Lord, as your gospel has gone forth, that though we are all sinners and that sin deserves full retribution, Lord, I know that you've sent your only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross on our behalf. And as he died for us, he rose again and offers us brand new life. And there you give us a choice. And I pray that there would not be a person in this room that has not said yes when this day is done. But Lord, as that offer is now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convince us of that need. And beloved, if that's you today, and you don't know if you've ever said yes to the gift of Jesus, or you know you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, if you agree, I ask you to give a resounding, confident, can I say PM, Amen in the sense of a, of a strong amen to say, I agree, let those words be my words, let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God in heaven, <clears throat> I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know it and I do too. And I know that my sin deserves to be punished. You as a righteous judge punish all sin. But you love me. And in loving me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross on my behalf 
to die for all of my sins. And he rose again on the third day to prove not only was the sin paid for, but now there's a new life beyond that. A life that is free from that bondage. A new life that is free to serve and to celebrate the God who has set us free. And so I say yes. I say yes to the gift of Jesus as my ransom, as my payment, and as my resurrected Lord. I say, Jesus, have a right to all of my life. Be my life now. I surrender myself to you. Be the architect of my reinvention and make me everything you desire for me to be. Make me the world changer you've ordained for me to be. As I say, here I am. Let the rest of my life be spent and surrendered to you. As I say, I'm yours. In Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.